There are millions today that have been traumatized by different aspects of religion. Think of war veterans who have PTSD, except this thing is caused by people like your pastor at your church, or the lady you don't like in Sunday school, or even your parents. Sound crazy? No. If taught incorrectly, teaching beliefs like hell, original sin, and many other mainstream Christian beliefs can have extremely damaging effects to people. Today, we're talking with Dr. Darren Slade, who's going to explain how religious trauma occurs and what we should do about it. Today, I am on with Dr. Darren Slade. We're going to be talking about religious trauma and how it affects people. How are you doing today, Dr. Slade? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Okay, can you give us a little bit about your background, your organization, and what you, what your, um, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I have a PhD in theology and church history, and I am the president of the Global Center for Religious Research. I'm also a professor at a little college here in Denver, Colorado, where we I teach ancient history, comparative religion and mythology, worldviews, things like that. And I am also currently the general editor for the academic journal SHRM or Sociohistorical Examination of Religion and Ministry is the long title and the director of the North American Committee on Religious Trauma Research. Awesome. Okay, awesome. And uh, so, you know, just tell us a little bit about like what your resources are as far as uh, religious trauma like if they want to, you know, learn more about it or just learn more about the topic, uh, you've got some certifications. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we actually have two kind of different versions, depending on maybe what your needs are. Um, but basically, we have a an entire certification program for pastors and ministers or people in professional ministry and also clinicians, things like life coaches, counselors and therapists or just professional researchers. And what this entails is 32 hours of training material, video lectures from some of the world's most prominent researchers and scholars and specialists on religious trauma. Take that course. At the very end, you get a certification. And that certification actually can be used to submit for CEUs or continuing education units. And that's mostly prominent. That's mostly relevant for uh, clinicians. Now, if somebody is just more interested in some kind of intro brief stuff to religious trauma, or you yourself might be a survivor or a sufferer from religious trauma, and you don't need the full certification. We also have what we call the expert video library, which is just kind of the certification course shrunk down with just the presentations. You don't have to worry about getting certifications or anything like that. And all you have to do is go to www.gcrr.org forward slash RT if you want to learn more about it. Awesome. Okay. And you've got a coupon code for people so they can get a discount, right? Absolutely. It's just your name, Zach. Z-A-C-H, <laughs> Zach. It'll be on the screen. Okay. This is awesome. Um, yeah, I, I've been watching, going through it. Um, I think I'm on like video five or six, and it's been really great. A lot of awesome stuff. And I'm already reaching out to some people um, to even do more interviews and uh, yeah. get get even more content. But um, 
I would highly, highly recommend going to, to uh, enroll in that course. So let's talk about religious trauma. What is that? Yeah, it's just trauma. Uh, and, and that might sound like I'm minimizing it, and I don't mean to be because trauma is a big deal. But um, it's important to know that religious trauma is just trauma, but it is trauma that has been created or caused from within a, a religious context. And those who suffer from religious trauma have a disruption in their nervous system. Trauma affects both your brain and your body to where your nervous system gets activated by certain things where you might find yourself having what you think of like PTSD symptoms, nightmares, extreme stress or anxiety, depression, um, fear. You might lash out in anger uh, at, at some of the simplest or dumbest things. You might see a group of people trying to share the gospel out on a street corner with some signs and you get enraged. Well, something as kind of benign as, as evangelists out on the street shouldn't have that effect on you, but your nervous system gets activated because you might have some religious trauma. Does that help answer the question? As a brief side note, I want to make it abundantly clear that if you are someone that has been affected by religious trauma, you are completely justified in feeling the way you do. You are not damaged goods, and there is hope. Additionally, if you feel like one of the theological views we talked about just can't be right because of what has been said, I'd highly recommend looking into other views that are backed by Scripture, of which there are many that plenty of God-loving Christians believe. Feel free to comment in the description if you want some recommendations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And of course, we're kind of getting some, some, some more examples of that. Um, I mean, how many people would you say experienced this? Well, we just completed the world's first most exhaustive sociological study on religious trauma. And what we found is that one in three U.S. adults have had religious trauma at some point in their life. And as much as 20% of the U.S. adult population currently suffers from multiple debilitating symptoms of religious trauma. So this is widespread and significant. Now, I want to say we're actually intentionally being very conservative with those numbers. The data absolutely supports those numbers, but... The number one criticism we get, and this is from clinicians, and this is from researchers all over, they say those numbers are too low, that it's actually even worse of a problem. Hmm. Um, and I, I tend to agree. But of course, we don't want to be sensationalist or anything. Um, so we did what the data shows, safely shows, and yet one out of three people, uh, adults in the U.S., may have had this at some point. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, no, I, um, I've been studying this topic a while and I certainly can see that there's, there's no doubt about that. And it seems like, like, I mean, it, it affects a lot of different things and a lot of different situations, which we're going to talk about. And, um, that's why I think it's so important to talk about this. So, you know, there's, you talked about in, in previous lectures that there's been some people that like, you'll ask them, like, hey, are you, you know, do you have religious trauma or whatever? And then 
they'll say no, and then later, like you you start talking about like different things, and you realize that what they're talking about seems like religious trauma, but they're, they they say they don't have it. So how does that does that make sense to you? Yeah, um, that's a great question. That was probably the most surprising thing that we got in our sociology study. About uh, upwards of eleven percent of the respondents, when asked the question, uh, "Do you have religious trauma?" And when we gave them the definition and explained what it is, and then we ask them, do you have this? They say, no. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that self-reporting can be a little off. So we, oh, we had a team of sociologists and professionals uh, doing these surveys. So we know to probe a little further. And as we get further along into these interviews, 11% who said no also claim to have three, four, five, six of the symptoms simultaneously. And we're talking debilitating symptoms specifically because of religion. Hmm. And so what in fact is happening is a couple of things. One, um, they, they contradicted themselves for sure. They say they don't have religious trauma, but then they identify as basically having it. So they should have said yes in the first place. And when we ask why didn't you say yes, the answer falls down to a number of possibilities. One, uh, it could have been a simple just error, a mistake. They didn't quite understand what religious trauma was. But also more likely is the stigma around Hmm. the word trauma and the stigma around saying that religion has maybe negatively impacted your life. It is still a taboo subject. And for many communities and many people to even hint that your faith community may have actually done you harm and damage, uh, you run the risk of being ostracized Hmm. or if it doesn't even come out publicly, internally, you might have the anxiety, the fear that you are going to betray God or displease God. Hmm by admitting that religion may have hurt you. So there's definitely reasons why somebody might contradict themselves and not fully want to embrace the trauma label. All right. So that sounds like there could be a lot of people listening here that they hear, okay, you know, think think to themselves, like, do I have religious trauma? And like, maybe there's, there's a large amount of people that like, don't, maybe don't understand it completely or, or might not, like be cognitively thinking, oh, you know, there's these symptoms or whatever. So just just to say that, like, you know, people listening should have an open mind. Like, this isn't like some like shame thing, right? Like, is is that something you should be ashamed of? Yeah, absolutely not. Um, sadly, trauma can happen anywhere at any time. Hmm. And most of us have been exposed to very traumatic things, especially coming out of the pandemic like we are, but also just from generation after generation after generation of being raised by war veterans and um, people who, uh, you know, in mass shootings, we are being exposed to traumatic things on a daily basis. Hmm. Here's the thing, trauma, isn't just debilitating it will cause long-term lasting adverse effects on you your brain and your body but it will do far worse 
It's going to damage relationships. It will kill you early on. Um, your marriages will crumble because of it or your relationship with your kids. You are going to be in a miserable state if you leave your trauma untreated. So um, whether there's a taboo about it, whether there's some stigma around it, just know that there's help and resources out there and the problem is not going to go away on its own. In fact, it could potentially get worse for you. Hmm. Fascinating. Okay. And yeah, really, I'm really excited to see what kind of solutions we have there. So, um, yeah, what is the most common religious trauma? Um, yeah, do you mean the most common uh, causes? Causes? Uh, yeah, causes. Yeah. Well, we actually distinguish uh, between two things. So, okay. um, there are what we call AREs, adverse religious experiences. Now, those are what you think of as the causes. The trauma is what happens to the body afterwards, mm. the lasting effects. So in terms of the adverse religious experiences, we are discovering that there is, there is an entire array of things that are causing it. So some of the most, some of the biggest, most prevalent ones is just how people have been treated by church members, by uh, the pastors. So things like um, an inability to express your beliefs, your, your, oh, your opinions, yeah. and, 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 and being shut down in a very traumatic way. So think of people in the LGBTQ community who have a different um, sexual orientation or, or gender identity. They are terrified of... Um, coming out or they're terrified of what's going on inside them and they hear sermons about that they're going to burn in hell and if they were to be outed or exposed or they come out and admit to themselves then suddenly they're they're told that they are possessed by demons or they need to go to you know gay therapy kind of stuff um these things are very traumatic it could also be something as mundane as believing in the rapture. And I know that sounds silly because for the most of us, um, kind of doctrinal type of theologies like that don't really affect us. However, um, I would say that some of the two biggest ones is the belief in original sin and things like rapture have actually done a lot of harm and damage for people. So for instance, we are now more aware of how rapture theology has caused a lot of uh, heights phobia, people who are afraid of heights in people um, because they're terrified that at any moment the Lord's going to return and they're going to be floating up into the sky. Um, <laughs> or, and probably a bit more prevalent, when somebody is in, ha has sinned, um, let's say they've had some impure thoughts or are acting on the impure thoughts. There's an immediate guilt and shame, but then an immediate fear. What if the rapture happened right now? Would I be one of them? Hmm. So a constant feeling that I'm never measuring up. God is going to punish me and he's out to get me. 
I'm terrified of my salvation constantly. Um, that intense scrupulosity or kind of an OCD pattern type behavior where mm. I'm always saying the Lord's name, uh, I'm sorry, I'm always saying the Lord's prayer, the sinner's prayer and, and, and hoping that uh, I'm pleasing the Lord. Or, you know, for me, whenever I used to hear somebody cuss or say God's name in vain, I would, in my head, I would say, yeah, I, I would pray, please forgive me, Jesus, you know, because I heard it echo in my head. And so I thought, oh my God, did I just, did I also sin with that person? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, original sin seems to be a big one. This notion that, and the way it's being taught, especially at young ages, it doesn't seem to be developmentally appropriate uh, to tell kids that when they sin or disobey mommy, that they have in fact murdered Jesus that they're responsible for his torture and death on the cross and that you are born evil and you're going to go to hell unless, you know, you say some magic words. Um, this we're finding has actually caused a lot of damage in people. Hmm. Okay. So, <clears throat> so when you talk about damage, I mean, you're talking about like someone says, Hey, there's a rapture and they're afraid of heights because of might what happen if they get raptured and you're saying that people like what they have depression or anxiety because of that like can you talk yeah. about that like people really I, I mean so to people that are not familiar with like trauma that's going to sound absolutely ridiculous like these people are crazy um can you talk about what um you know, they'll say that, of course, you know, I don't think they're crazy for thinking that I think they're totally justified. And, you know, for whatever reason, but what what is causing that? Like, why would someone ever conclude, like, be scared of that? Like, help, help people understand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I'm talking about kind of the damage that can be done, we're talking about interpersonal, emotional and cognitive difficulties. Um, mm -hmm. So think of PTSD where somebody wakes up in night sweats every, or a good portion of their sleep experiences are nightmares and the nightmares are of them being raptured but it's a terrifying experience in those dreams hmm. think of the person who you have to forgive me i'm trying to wait for my little one because she's making noise. <laughs> I'm glad this isn't live. There you go. Nice. Um, all right, I'm pick up. Think of somebody with PTSD who is also um, enraged by some of the simplest stuff, things that they can't quite understand. They're always almost on a level of simmering, always angry or about ready to explode. So somebody cuts them off in traffic and they flip out. It's like they see red, they go into a, their own brain and they just turn into a completely different person. Hmm. These are PTSD symptoms. What is basically happening because the symptoms can manifest in a whole bunch of different ways, depending on the person. Right. For some people, they go into a fight mode other people, they go into a freeze mode where they just completely shut down. Other people go into a fawn mode where they become people pleasers and doormats, right? Um, what is basically happening 
is your brain has taken a past trauma and made neurological connections to it. So that present day experiences trigger a neurological response where your brain immediately enters into that fight or fight mode. Hmm. And because, and, and you can't help it. It's a complete automated system. So you see the preachers on the street corner and suddenly boom, your brain connects that to a past trauma thinks you are in danger. Now you flip into a fight mode or you flip into a flight mode where you're taking off, you're running, you're having panic attacks, anxiety attacks, sweating, hyperventilating. Um, these types of things happen to the brain. Boom. Neurological connection. You go into that mode and it can be disruptive. It's terrifying, not just for you, but the people around you. These are types of things that uh, we actually are seeing a lot of all over the place. Hmm. Right. Um, so it's not just religion that's causing it, obviously. But what we're finding is that religious doctrines and practices and of course, just a ab terrible abuses like sex assault, right. Um, is causing this for a ton of people. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so, you know, you, you mentioned some, you know, uh, a big one is hell. I don't know if you talked about that one yet. Um, and I'll be interviewing, uh, Dr. Mark Karras, um, tomorrow actually on the top of a hill, which I've yes. written about, um, Perfect one. Yeah. And so, but, you know, original sin, hell. So like, you know, a lot of people think like, okay, you know, I've never experienced that. I, I'm not afraid of hell. Um, but then obviously you have, you know, people that even deconvert or people that are still Christians that are just freaking out about hell. They have dreams every night that they're scared of hell, scared of hell. Some people don't even believe in Christianity and they're still scared of hell Yeah. or how, like, how does that make any sense? So can you talk about why, we would have some people that don't like don't have an issue at all and some people in the same circumstances do like experience this trauma here well we don't know hmm. and that's the that that's the basic answer it's no different from if somebody gets into a very traumatic car wreck maybe even somebody dies in it whether you're a participant in the car wreck or, or you're just an observer, you witness it. Two people witnesses the same accident. One person develops PTSD from it and another person doesn't. Hmm. So it's very individualized on what people will be able to handle and their nervous systems. And it has no reflection on their character or their strength, nothing like that. It just happens to be how your nervous system appropriates and stores the memory in your brain. Sometimes for some people, the memory just gets filed away like any other experience. And for others, it's like a grenade or shrapnel going off and it just cuts into the different parts and it messes some of the wiring up. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That, that certainly makes sense. Um, I mean, I've heard about, uh, like, you know, you can actually be born with trauma or even experience it in the womb. So I, w I wonder, or, you know, obviously parenting too. So 
I wonder. Yeah, I mean, there, there's got to be like you know a whole up a whole bunch of different factors for people that experience that. Um, but I'm certainly not an expert on the topic. <laughs> um, but that yeah, that's a really interesting question, and I appreciate that. Um, so let's talk about like original sin. Okay, so you know a lot of people believe that, obviously. Okay, um, but there are some people that um, you know really struggle with that idea, and I, I seriously relate to that. Like. There's something about it, and of course, you know, in the Calvinistic circles with total depravity, mm. that like some people really, really struggle. Like, get the impression like, hey, like you're worthless, like you're you're an evil person, you deserve hell essentially, and like some people really struggle with that. Can you talk about like what is what's the what's like what's really causing that, and like why do people like respond so negatively to that? Well, I would argue it probably goes to, excuse me, I would probably argue that it goes towards a, a sense of shame and guilt that is just touching something very deep, something very young inside of us. Uh, this notion that you have already failed, you've already oh, wow. messed yeah. up. And not just that. You are worthy of eternal torment, hmm. whether you think in hell, it has an actual lake of fire, or if it's just this outer darkness kind of thing, whatever, you still imagine it as the gnashing of teeth, this place that is not good. And you're already at the beginning of your life, a failure, <laughs> miserable. Yeah. This then creates a rather toxic codependent relationship between you and God. Hmm. The idea that I am absolutely nothing without God. I can never be anything without him. He is one who completes me. And if I don't love him back, he will mess me up bad. If this were said of a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it would be immediately recognized as toxic and abusive. Hmm. And why, this is also why we see domestic violence and domestic abuse survivors have PTSD quite a bit because of these types of power dynamics and these types of toxic environments that they're being exposed to constantly. Well, the same thing for you and God. You're the failure, you're the sinner, you're the bad one right from the start. Now imagine, now imagine as you get older, let's say you have a struggle with pornography or something, some other, and no matter how fervently you pray, you fast, you pray, you attend church, you get anointed with oil, you have the hands laid on you, everything, and yet you still can't beat the temptation. You still watch pornography. The amount of shame and guilt that you, your body endures it, you are, it's like a shotgun blast to your chest. This is literally changing your body and your brain. It is making you, it's going to make you depressed, anxious. Um, you cannot endure and just stay, remain in a constant state of guilt and shame 
without it having lasting adverse effects on you. Hmm. Yeah, that's really deep. So, um, um, like, so you talked about, yeah, I mean, okay. So first, you know, that makes absolute total sense. Like if you're told that you are absolutely a terrible person, uh, you know, what is it? The heart is desperately wicked. Um, you know, people use that. I mean, I don't know what your opinion is on that, but you know, I'd say a lot of times it's very out of context. Um, but the, there's a, uh, there's a thing about it, like, you know, you're, you're evil, basically, from birth. And the only way that you could ever do anything good is for God. And it's all God's doing It's none of you're doing. So it I mean, in that way, it, it, it seems super reasonable to say that, okay, like you're, you're worthless and evil person. Um, but at the same time, on the other hand, like, you know, Genesis one, like, you know, we're made in the image of God. So like, uh, you know, you you do have inherent value, like, and you get into all like the abortion topic or whatever, and um, so like, I've never heard a preacher say, "Hey, like, you're absolutely evil and you're a terrible person and you have no value at all." Um, so like, I mean, obviously, this isn't just like you know a few preachers or whatever just like not communicating well, like. Do you, I mean, do you think this is just purely a communication issue um, or like are, are these are these preachers just not communicating well or like, what's what am I missing there? Well, it could be that in a lot of cases, for sure. Uh, and that'll happen in any context. Right. I think that there is something to be said about the notion that there are just simply toxic belief systems or toxic doctrines. Hmm. You know, it's interesting when you talk about that, you've never heard a preacher stand up <laughs> right. and say these things. And that's actually a fairly novel thing. That's a fairly new thing. A millennial, the millennial generation is really the first generation to uh, those that go to church or had gone to church where they didn't hear that you are evil and that you were going to burn in hell and other horrific things from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. But we get reports all the time. It is still incredibly prevalent. It is mm -hmm. in fact what is stated at the pulpit a lot. And if it's not, let's say you have a, a pastor who has a bit more of a cuddly teddy bear version of Jesus, <laughs> right? He's a little bit more progressive, let's say. You still have congregants. You still have the Bible. You still have it being brought up in passive conversation. Why do I need to go to church and be with God and, and, and all these things? Well, because if there's a heaven, then there might be a downside too. Um, so these things are still going to come up. I feel like you have to be fairly oblivious to not ha have been exposed to it at some point. Hmm. But for many, and I would argue the majority of both church history, but also the majority of devout regular church goers are being exposed to it regularly. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I read uh, Dr. Slade's book on hell and he's talking about, uh, he quoted from Jonathan Edwards, I think it was. You mean Dr. And, Dr. Harris? Is it Mark oh, Harris? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was Harris. Shoot. Or, no. I mean, Harris. I, yeah, you're right. Mark Harris. Yeah, Mark Harris. 
<laughs> we can edit that out. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what I originally said. But um, anyways, so Dr. Karras's book, he quotes from Jonathan Edwards. And I was reading that. I was like, oh, my gosh. No wonder you had so much uh, religious revival. You're telling people they're going to hell and they're evil people if they don't repent. Like, that's definitely a motivation uh, factor. Um, but obviously, like, that's not healthy. Um, you know, spe specifically on how, you, like, even if it is true, it's still not healthy. And there's ways to communicate that. Um, yeah, that's just, it was really fascinating to hear that. Did you have thoughts? Well, you know, think about this. Uh, some other studies have been done on adverse religious experiences. And, you know, uh, one study that we cite in our in our uh, sociological publication, uh, some 71% of young children were being taught graphic portrayals of hell, huh. Satan, demons, um, and that these were developmentally inappropriate. So they were not things that you would normally expose, should expose a kid to. Uh, and, and this is unique, or this is ironic, since uh, the people exposing them to these graphic things would also probably be the ones to say, you shouldn't watch an R-rated movie because that's not, <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh. So yeah, this I think is a lot more prevalent than, and I'll tell you this, this is what's also scary um, and toxic. As you can imagine, I get a lot of hate mail. The Global Center for Religious Research sometimes does as well. Uh, and these are very devout, zealous people. I remember one time I got a letter, a handwritten letter in the mail. And it said, you know, I saw your work on religious trauma, blah, blah, blah. I hope to traumatize people is what the guy said. I hope they are so traumatized because otherwise they're going to burn in hell. Hmm. Um, that's gross. It's horribly ignorant. This, I would argue it's mindsets like this and the prevalency of the abuses in the church, both big and small. That is why church pews are being emptied at an astonishing rate, huh. right? But for a lot of people, they want it to be scary. They want it because they think they are doing a noble service when in mm. fact they're actually, it's back, it's going to backfire on them. Okay, I can't remember who it was you interviewed. Maybe it was Karis, um, who you asked in in the video. You were like, "Hey, is this effective?" And like, he was like, "Oh yeah, it's effective." Uh, you know, you tell your child not to do something, and you you hold that stick like it's gonna be effective. Uh, but obviously, it's not gonna be healthy down the line. So, uh, another you know, Jonathan Edwards, like that was effective. Uh, but I'm sure there was some ridiculous you know, religious trauma after that as well. Uh, so <laughs> like, I mean, if what, okay, whether, you know, whether I or you think the view is true or not, the question is like, what is the best way to do that? What is the best way to communicate that? And like, say for a topic of hell, like, do you have any thoughts on how to communicate that um, well without like com completely religious trauma, destroying people's lives afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if I'm the best person to be able to answer that. Um, I'm not, I don't specialize in preaching or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. My immediate reaction is I'm not 
sure why it needs to be brought up. Hmm. Is that really what the gospel is? A get out of hell card? Yeah. You know, are you, you're good and you love Jesus just so you don't burn? Hmm. Um, so I'm not so sure. Is it really the essential message? Is that really it? We like to think, or or at least it's been argued, you know, yeah, you, the gospel must talk about the sin and, and the possibility of hell. I'm not so sure. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not so sure. And um, as for if you do, honestly, I mean, that just really is part of the core identity of your denomination or whatever. And you feel like it must be preached. You know, I don't know what a good way of bringing something like that up. Hmm. You do, maybe it's a balancing act, kind of what you were discussing, the image of God and, and how treasured you are, right? Hmm. So maybe it needs to be balanced. You don't yeah. just talk about that. You talk about how much uh, uh, value and worth you ha still have. Hmm. Um, why, why you mentioned the, the value and worth thing. So... Um, just from experience, like my wife and people that I've talked to, like, you know, you, you have, there are a lot of people out there with, you know, image issues. Like, um, I've had to deal with that some myself when, when we're talking about that, like there's a, I've heard some psychologists say like, there's almost like a bias toward yourself. It's like, mm -hmm. like, if you think that you're worthless and you hear someone say, oh, you're not worthless. Like, what is that going to immediately change your mind? No, like compared to if someone says you're worthless it's like oh shoot no you're right and like you're you're almost biased you don't hear the the good stuff you always hear the bad stuff um so that you know when you're talking about like why people respond differently that that comes to mind um but i'm um shoot i forgot my question honestly that's really awesome well you um, know yeah go for it you know, uh, this is a known psychological thing. It's it's a, actually a cognitive bias that we have here uh, mm -hmm. where we remember and internalize negative experiences far more than we do positive ones. Our brains really are wired to highlight and emphasize negative stuff, mm -hmm. negative stuff about the world, about others, about us. And it's a survival mechanism. But yeah, so if you... Uh, have any inkling about how bad you are or, you know, what a sinner you are, mm. it might be internalized and appropriated far more deeply mm. than if you're told just how much God loves you and all that. <laughs> right, right. So in that case, like if we are going to be giving these, you know, sermons or whatever about hell and, um, you know, you, yeah, you do have to emphasize, like, make it very important because there are some people out there that will really focus on that that one negative thing you said, or even, of course, if it's an entire topic, it's even or even worse. But to, to really focus on a positive, like, you know, that you're valued and all that, um, yeah, that's really really helpful. Thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> so, um, uh, yeah, let's little wraps are just a little bit more. Okay, so. You talked about heights. I mean, is that is that the only reason why people freak out about that? 
No, uh, I would say paranoia, scrupulosity are the big ones that we're finding with in terms of judgment days, uh, apocalypses, raptures, stuff like that, mm. tribulation periods. <laughs> the um, idea is that you are, in a way, in a constant state of hypervigilance. Mm. And hypervigilance is not good, not good for the brain or body. So if you're constantly told that at any moment the Lord is going to come back and he is going to judge you, hmm. wow. you are now finding yourself walking on eggshells all the time. Your body will not be able to sustain that. Hmm. So hypervigilance, shame and guilt, paranoia, fear that you will be judged poorly at any second. Hmm. Which of course, then when you actually do mess up, which will happen inevitably, then you have like, oh, shoot, the rapture could happen right now. I am one of of course, and, and that might even be a good reason why the whole um, the rapture, uh, premillennialism, premillennialism and left behind got so popular in a lot of ways, which of course, there's a lot of different reasons. But because people are so afraid of what's going to happen. And I guess maybe a, a sense of like, if I can learn more about it, then I can be prepared almost. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I actually, um, I almost would, I would throw in a different theory about why that okay. might be a bit more popular. Okay, uh, go for it. It's, it actually kind of is a bit of a, a self-righteous torture porn. <laughs> um, seriously, you know, when we talk, think about, you know, Hal Lindsey, the, um, and, uh, the other big namers, right? Yeah. Tim LaHaye, the graphic portrayals of your enemies being vanquished and your enemies being steeped in rivers of blood and God taking vengeance on your enemies oh, while boy. vindicating you. Mm. It's like torture porn. I, uh, you're, you feel a, a heightened sense of um, uh, your ego is boosted up, a heightened right. sense of your own power, your own righteousness when other people are getting their just dues. <laughs> that is something I never thought about because I was never in that. Thank, uh, thank God for that. <laughs> that is so fascinating. I, um, wow, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but no, I definitely think there's probably a thousand different reasons why that whole thing was popular um okay so um yeah every sin i do i'm murdering jesus on the cross um to some people that's going to seem obvious that you don't tell a three to eight or ten or maybe even 15 or maybe even 20 year old child that that you don't tell them that uh but at the same time um like that might not be as obvious to some people. So could you maybe go into detail what's so special about why you shouldn't tell a child that? Well, first let's clear up it. The okay. communication, the message is communicated multiple different ways. Mm, true. Same message, just different words. So sometimes you tell the kid you're making Jesus cry. Or you don't use the word murder and torture. You yeah. are saying he is hanging on the cross because of what you did. Mm. Uh, as you later learn, as you grow, uh, you start to see because you went to your church's Easter play. 
you see what it looks like to make Jesus cry or to hang him on the cross. Hmm. So it doesn't, it, it isn't hard for people to make that connection, even if they're not explicitly said, you're murdering and torturing Jesus. Hmm. But yeah. we also want to acknowledge that is actually what is being said in a lot of ways as well graphic portrayals of it. So it is going along with the rapture. It is a teaching and a doctrine that might be toxic because it emphasizes shame and guilt. It emphasizes the potential for things like victim blaming where let's say you were sexually abused, you were raped or molested. Well, did you commit the sin too now? I mean, you lost your virginity technically, didn't you? Are you a sinner? Did things like that? Or, uh, you know, I'll tell you a, a flip side to it. Where you're also taught to forgive your abusers. You're also taught to forgive uh, almost automatically. And without the actual recovery, without the healing, without the reconciliation, yeah. right? So we know that a ton of cases where if you sin, you've made Jesus cry. If they've sinned, your youth leader, your pastor, somebody else, your dad, who is an elder or, or a, a deacon at the church, mm -hmm. when they've sinned against you, you need to forgive them. That's God's child. It almost always seems to be this, when you mess up, you're bad. God's going to come after you. Hmm. When they're bad, God seems to protect the abuser. At least that's part of the communication. That's the message that gets received. Hmm. So yeah, there's two sides to it. And again, is this a toxic belief that maybe isn't as essential or even as biblical as you might think? Hmm. Yeah. So uh, first thought is like, yeah, no, that makes complete sense why someone would come out of that feeling uh, less confident, less valuable in themselves. Um, if someone is, every time something goes wrong for them, it's like, you know, oh, forgive everyone else. But when other t other people do it, yeah. Hmm.
Yeah. Great question. I'm going to say something that a lot of people aren't going to like to hear. We know for a fact that prayer or any other religious ritual will not heal your trauma. Even for those who say that it has healed them are going to still have the symptoms of trauma. In fact, those who go to things like healing crusades or really kind of have that testimony of God having healed them. Yeah. That testimony doesn't last for long. You know this. So trying to pray or fast, stand on God's word, other kind of ritual practices is about as effective as prayer is for healing an amputee. Somebody gets their arm blown off in war, doesn't matter how much you pray, that arm isn't coming back. Why? Because trauma is a problem in the brain and your central nervous system. It is not a reflection of your faith, your spirituality level, or your relationship with God. The organ in your head is, it has been rewired and you need to wire it back. And what we now know is that trauma cannot be fixed, even with talk therapy, psychoanalysis, um, or some of the, or, or cognitive behavioral therapy. So some of the traditional types of talk therapies actually can make trauma worse. You need to see a trauma specialist, just like you would if you have cancer, tumor, broken bones. A trauma specialist knows how the brain works and can help repair the neurological pathways. So uh, my favorite analogy for this. Trauma works like this. Imagine your brain is kind of like a, a snow-covered hill or a snow-covered mountain. And people are skiing down it, right? Well, as time goes on, the skiers make an embedded groove in the side of that mountain so that a lot of times skiers are going down the same path. It's a groove. And that's exactly how our brains work. Our brains create neural pathways, much like the skier tracks. And so your brain automatically will associate certain smells to certain feelings, certain memories to certain physical uh, manifestations, whatever. Same thing with trauma. What it, trauma has done, and this can happen because of one intense experience or a lifetime of exposure to violence and abuse, where a track is made, a connection is made with your fight or flight or fawn mode and the experience. Okay. So now we know how the brain is working. What we need to do is cover the brain with snow again. Trauma specialists like EMDR or somatic, uh, somatic therapy are designed to put a fresh layer of snow on your brain so that your brain can cover up the tracks leading from the trauma to the reaction, the triggers. And you make different connections. So that way, if you uh, happen to sin, you don't go into an immediate panic. You drive by a church, you're not immediately angered and, and flustered. Um, 
your brain will make new pathways. Does that help? Does that make sense? No, no. I mean, you can't fix your own trauma. You're not going to be able to think or pray or talk your way out of trauma. It, it is a, it is a physical thing happening to your body and to your brain. So, um, and luckily we now know enough about this stuff that there are a lot of good resources out there. Wonderful trauma specialists and trauma therapists who love their and are excellent at, at doing things like EMDR. Yeah, Google it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And it's very much just Google EMDR specialist in my area, something like that. Yeah. No, no, no. It is not an exhaustive treatment for trauma. Um, so let's liken it to maybe losing weight, right? Uh, for somebody who ha is on the extreme obese uh, side of things and they can barely move, they can't, and so they need immediate surgery. They need to go in and get uh, they need to get, I don't know, liposuction. I don't know. It's probably a bad analogy for some, for me to be using. But uh, so something like an immediate surgery. However, there are still healthy practices that you need to, to put in or you're just going to revert back to the old ways, right? So yeah, meditation is a phenomenal practice to incorporate into your life, regardless if you have trauma or not. Um, so definitely there are things that you want to do you want to have good, healthy boundaries, right? And you want to not expose yourself to the same environments or people who are abusing or have abused you. Um, but just by having boundaries is not going to cure and heal the trauma that's already occurred. So the damage that has been done is going to be there until that gets fixed. In the meantime, you definitely want to put in some better healthy practices.
yeah, that's uh, a great way. Yeah. You know, that's a fantastic question. I'm not so sure I have. Give me a second. Um, yeah, go. Yeah, give me an example of what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Absolutely. So let's distinguish two things here. One, um, in the moment. If somebody is triggered, we're going to have volatile, oftentimes we'll have volatile responses and reactions, right? So that might be the fight mode. Imagine trying to reason with, if you've encountered this yourself, when somebody's enraged, right? Um, that you can't reason with them. You're not going, you got to get, at, you got to get away. There needs to be distance, right? That's because their brain has been hijacked. They're not in control anymore. The same thing actually happens with somebody who shuts down and just completely dissociates. Um, so that in the moment is definitely regardless. I mean, it has nothing to do with belief systems necessarily or worldviews and doctrines. Um, it's just a total hijacking of the brain. Your brain is in survival mode. And survival mode doesn't often always have to be violent. It could just be, I'm going to get into a fetal position in a way, right? Um, so there's that element. Now for just more of the long-term uh, negative effects of trauma. The everyday, I am living with a constant fear or shame or guilt or just a, you know, a deep hatred for God, for church, for churchgoers and Christians, things like that. So most definitely, um, instead of, you know, talk, preaching the hellfire as winning people to Christ, you're actually going to push them away. And so there, they are likely not going to want to step foot in a church ever again. They're likely never going to want to associate with God or the Bible or anything, right? So you've poisoned that well, if you will. or what some of the other things that we see in terms of trauma, you know, I talked about the guy who wrote me the, the hate mail, right? When we see this happen, people who send out hate mail to people and they're just gross, right? Um, with the things that they say, we hope you die. We hope your kids will, you know, all, all these types of things. That's oftentimes likely a trauma response as well. 
And yet what has happened for them, instead of maybe leaving the church, they have actually dug in and entrenched themselves in it even more. It's this codependency thing where um, I've been traumatized by this and I'm going to get into it even more. I'm going to absorb it even more and, and marinate in it. What that does is makes that person just as toxic and end up abusing others. They continue the cycle. So yes, it can close people off for sure on a whole bunch of different fronts. And by the way, if you want to see, if you want to see examples uh, of religious trauma in action, you know, YouTube street preachers and people reacting and responding, right? You know, you're going to see volatile, um, it, it, it kind of these knee jerk reactions to people, uh, to the, to the evangelists. That's because these people have been damaged and hurt. And that person is triggering them, that person. And it actually it is nothing to do with the fragility or the wokeness of that person who, who's having, who's been triggered. Um, it is a fact that in their past, the people, God or, or his representatives have done some serious harm to him or her. And so a genuine compassion and love for your neighbor is to be aware of this, to be trauma informed, to know that you might represent something that is, is incredibly painful for others. And so you might want to consider these things before you enter professional ministry or, or as you continue in ministry. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are a survivor or a sufferer of religious trauma, or you want to learn more about it or take steps for your own ministry, or maybe you're a clinician and you want to take steps in your own practice to be more informed, 
and help prevent this or even help heal some of this stuff, you can go to gcrr.org forward slash RT. And we have wonderful resources for you there. You can learn all about it from the causes to the symptoms to treatment options for religious trauma. No, just thank you so much for having me. And if this is you, if this resonates with you, just know you're not alone and resources are out there. Otherwise, please be good to yourself. Be patient and loving to yourself. Thank you.